they're constantly on their guard uh, watching over their mind because when our mindfulness, mindfulness slips then obviously unwholesome mind states can take over the mind say for instance anger when we lose our mindfulness anger takes over the mind we have to contemplate well, what is the harm that anger brings to the mind brings to us and we start to think angry thoughts we feel stressed, we feel unhappy our speech uh, maybe is conditioned by anger our actions are conditioned by anger can be very destructive that's just one example of when we lose our mindfulness and unwholesome dhammas take over the mind what, what is the, uh, the result so if you keep contemplating like that and you see the value of the practice you see the value of learning to develop mindfulness develop restraint and gradually purifying the mind you have to keep putting effort into the practice to avoid falling into indulgence in sensuality uh, because obviously when we start to indulge in sensuality then our effort will fade and become more complacent, more lazy uh, therefore we must be very careful and practice constant mindfulness developing constant mindfulness, constant restraint in the way we eat in the way we sleep, how we conduct ourselves of course if we get caught into indulgence if we eat too much, we sleep too much then our effort in the practice will fade uh, and of course if our efforts fade and go down, downhill then samadhi won't arise, panya won't arise and the kilesas will take over uh, so we have to keep reminding ourselves of this, this danger I see the danger in the attachment to the world the attachment to samsara as a whole and this thing of danger makes us very careful very cautious um, we can see how if, if we do let our efforts slip then it's very easy to become attached to things again and to fall back towards sexuality so we have to keep bringing up effort, keep reminding ourselves to reflect on the four requisites the way we use the four requisites uh, road, samsung, um, dwelling place and medicine for sickness uh, now that we're bhikkhus we must we have a duty to be restrained in the sila different kinds of sila, sila in the way we use the requisites um, sila of sense restraint and so on we have to recollect the impermanence of life all the time the fact that we're heading towards death uh, death could come any time we don't know which day, which day of the year, which month it's going to come it could come any time and we have to devote ourselves to the practice which means we have to use the seclusion of the forest and our kuti uh, as a way of uh, helping us to detach from sensuality again keep away from getting too attached to the world if we keep using these different aspects of the practice uh, they'll keep working on the mind training the mind in the right way, in the right direction heading towards Margapala, Nibbana this is how we can gradually change our, our mind from being uh, ordinary worldling particular towards the mind of an area, a noble one it's this is it's this core lot of this practice that you know, makes the mind beautiful, brings beauty to the mind. So beauty in the beginning is sila, beauty in the middle is samadhi, beautiful in the end is tanya. All these factors working together are what gradually transform the mind. They bring up 
states, wholesome states of mind, peaceful dhammas, help us to abandon unwholesome states of mind. It means all together, working together, bring the mind a sense of heedfulness, carefulness. But we must have such a mindfulness and a sense of care and keep teaching ourselves. We have to learn how to depend on ourselves, remind ourselves, reflect on the Dhamma, bringing up mindfulness. The more we do this, then the more our mind will become firm in Samadhi and this will give rise to the conditions that will give rise to insight. Uh, we'll see the harm of our attachments, we'll see the limitations and the suffering that arises from attachments. We'll see that attachments can't bring us to true happiness. Uh, We'll see that the nature of this world is subject to uh, Anishaduka Anatta. These three characteristics um, cover the whole world, all aspects of of this conditioned world. Whether you're looking outside at external material things, mountains, trees, buildings, whatever, they're all impermanent, suffering, not self. Any kind of insight we have into these three characteristics will again arouse more efforts. Automatically, we'll want to put more effort to keep pursuing this insight, developing it. And from that, our Sila Samadhi and Panya will develop in a quite a natural way. Our sense of commitment, dedication to the practice will grow. And, and the mind will become more firm, more established in the practice. Even if sometimes we still get caught into um, a little bit of laziness, or sometimes we feel down, um, we'll still have a general sense of heading towards Magapala Nibbana. We use, so, so then we use the core what as a foundation for this. We learn how to arouse effort to go to the morning meetings, the evening meetings, to do the chores, to go on being the barker. All of these are taking away our cautious sense of selfishness and increasing uh, our sense of renunciation, letting go, both inside and outside. Uh, meaning if, if we can't follow the core on the outside yet, we haven't got the effort and the energy to do that, well that's a good sign that the places are taking over our, our minds, dragging us back towards the world. If we're eating too much, for instance, sleeping too much, not putting our effort into the different aspects of the routine, that's a sure sign that the places are there. So we have to reflect on this, we have to see uh, why we can't do these things, what's going wrong, where are the places coming up. Because uh, these will always be blocking our goal, and this is where we have to contemplate so that we can arise, arouse efforts uh, to overcome the, these weaknesses in the practice, in the routine, in the forward. And this will gradually bring up the level of our mind higher and higher, and the mind will become firmer based on this practice of the forward, developing mindfulness in the uh, monastic routine and the ways of conduct of a bhikkhu. Through this, it's through this that our samadhi will develop, and through this that our insights will develop. When insight arises, it might not necessarily be exactly how it's described in the books. You can't be sure what what form it will take, but you can be sure that the practice of sila samadhi panya, following the monastic routine, the ways of conduct, of providing the right or nurturing the right conditions for insights to arise. But when it arises and how, we can't always predict. 
uh, we might gradually though come to realize that the, um, our attachment to this body and mind is these five candles it's a bit like somebody who's occupying a building and then that building is on fire once they realize it's on fire all they want to do is get out of there that's the kind of insight that we might have into the, the deeper of these five candles or we might have that clear realization that really life in life all we're doing is heading for death every day all the time the one thing we know one, the one thing that's for sure is that we're heading towards death when we have that kind of insight then Sankara's conditioned things this body, this mind start to become a bit frightening and that attachment to them because they're only going to take us to more death more suffering and so naturally the mind pulls back from that attachment experiences more equanimity while we take that whatever insight arises then it naturally will lead to an inner sense of peace and joy it will be accompanied by that sense of contentment and that also spurs on our effort that's one of the things that conditions, conditions greater or more effort in the practice we're not lazy once we're experiencing some joy from our, and peace of mind from our insights and it's really seeing these three characteristics in our experience of, of these five candles that's what really arouses great effort in the practice once we start to see results coming from our practice then naturally uh, this increases the energy we have and the effort we put into it and more wisdom insights will start to come uh, we'll be able to see the value of all that effort that we've put in previously working with our weaknesses, our phileses right from the beginning when we first ordained we can see all the effort we've put into the core work learning to follow the monastic routine keeping the precepts learning the sense restraint putting effort into a meditation object and contemplating the Dhamma all of that effort we'll see the value of it and see how it's come together in the mind you can see how using a meditation object over a long period of time developing it, putting sincere effort into developing it comes gradually comes to fruition more and more uh, you might have used the breath as your meditation object or the contemplation recollection of death as a foundation for your meditation practice once you start to experience some peace from this some, some states of peace and calm you can see the value of all that effort you put in in the past um, it's at this time once we do start to experience some peace we can turn to contemplate the body uh, whether it's contemplating the unattractive side of the body the super or contemplating the four elements in the body um, this in itself this kind of contemplation will lead to a, a refinement of our sila and samadhi panya we gradually move up to a more refined level where these factors are present in the mind all the time uh, of course there will still be some times when our energy wanes uh, weakens and those power factors maybe they're not still fully established so there might be times when the places seem to re-emerge and take over the mind and we feel down and depressed or fed up um, but if we keep contemplating studying, learning uh, the core what, the ways of practice this has an energy in itself which helps us to get through those periods when the mind goes down it gives us the support to have enough endurance enough patience to get through those periods 
by putting effort into their routine and the ways of practice that we've, we've established those good habits then we can get through our moods and re-establish the Samadhi Panya and when we're doing that more regularly we keep bringing out Sila Samadhi Panya more regularly uh, then the power factors start to win over the Kalesa and so we have some victories where before it maybe seemed like there was a lot of uh, defeats and weakness in the practice then you start to have a few victories and once we have that then obviously um, our sense of joy starts to increase our mind becomes firmer in the practice we have more samadhi and more um, samadhi means that our wisdom faculty and our insight can develop more conveniently, more fluently and so that our thoughts on, on the practice that before were just intellectual thinking about the practice considering the different aspects of the teaching uh, gradually turns into real insight which is backed by samadhi by firm states of mind and uh, what we call pavana maya panya this is where the jitta really has strong energy to overcome the hindrances and just to keep focusing with mindfulness on the three characteristics the mind becomes very brave, very mature at this stage and it's able to break through the normal superficial way of relating to the world where we are attaching to things all the time we, we can break through the apparent reality or the stimuli satya more easily because there's samadhi present and we're able to turn our mind training in wisdom and so our insight develops to a more profound, deeper nature, deeper level when one has more profound insights that break through the Samuti Satcha uh, we won't want to waste our time anymore we won't want to give in to places anymore and we'll appreciate that we have really have a, a good chance to develop our minds now we can see or we have good support uh, with the four requisites to lay people support us in this life and we have peaceful place to stay we really won't want to lose that chance lose that opportunity so we really want to dedicate our efforts more and more to the practice uh, the more we reflect like this and the more peace of mind we have the more understanding we have then our energy naturally increases even more before we can see that before we used to have to sometimes force ourselves to do the practice so force ourselves to come out to the morning meeting, force ourselves to go to the evening meeting, force ourselves to do sitting, force ourselves to do walking meditation. But once we have more deeper samadhi and these insights, then we're not lazy anymore. We really want to do it. And we don't want to miss out on our, our chance to practice. We don't want our own personal discipline to slip. We don't want our personal routine to slip. We don't want to have any weaknesses in our personal routine or conduct and so more and more we want to put effort into making our own practice um, perfect and complete when you see monks like that monks who are really trying hard in their practice for trying to do everything well trying to put effort into their own personal discipline their own personal routine you know oh, that's a monk who's really got some energy up and they've got some samadhi and they're really putting forth some effort into their practice uh, they're one who won't be just caught into their moves they won't be caught into disliking this, disliking that they will know how to rise above that and so their mind will experience more evenness, more equanimity and even get to the point where it can start abandoning defilements 
the abandoning greed, hatred, and delusion come up in the mind, experiencing Tatanga Vimuti, where the mind can really liberate itself from greed, hatred, and delusion. Someone like that, you could say, is really established in the practice and has really developed good energy. Once we are established in the practice, the effort and the energy will also be established. And one or other level of samadhi will also be established in our practice. When we have that, then any mood or mental state or mental proliferation that comes up into the mind, we won't want to let it stay there because we'll see the suffering that causes, we'll see the, the way the mind wavers with it. And we won't want that there. We won't want the mind to get stuck into, into that kind of mental proliferation. So then we'll see the value of using a barikama meditation object to cut off any mental proliferation and learning how to keep the mind in the present moment and just to see any mental state, mental phenomena or sensation that arises just see it through its course of arising, being present in our consciousness and then letting go of it as it extincts, it uh, disappears becomes extinct from the mind. We'll be able to see that and we can keep the mind focused in that way, keeping it in the middle, using the presence of sati, presence of mindfulness to keep it in a state of equanimity, just observing, investigating the arising and passing away phenomena. When we have that experience, when we have that established in the mind, then of course all the factors of the past will gradually be, be brought up and the level of our sila will be brought up because we want to use sila, uh, that sense of restraint and mindfulness and care to preserve that ability to contemplate in that way. The mind will become firmer in its sila. It will become firmer in its samadhi because we want to keep uh, in a position where we can contemplate in that way. So we want to keep the mind firm with mindfulness on our meditation object. And wisdom becomes clearer because we want to keep contemplating phenomena like that because we can see this is the way to purify the mind, bring it more peace, more happiness. We can see that these three things, Sila, Samadhi and Panya, really they're just names or labels that we use when we're describing the practice. But actually they're all qualities that come into the mind, occur in the mind and they support each other and they're really inseparable. Uh, each one pulls up the other, the level of the other. So the more our sila is developing, the more our samadhi will develop. The more our samadhi is developing, the more our panya will develop. The more our panya develops, the more sila develops. Each one is supporting, each one is linked to the others uh, in the mind. And it's when these three, three areas are developing and established in the mind that we have the chance to really see the true nature of uh, our existence, or what we say, the Sapawa Dhamma, the true essence or the true nature of reality. We might see this, this might occur in many different ways, we might see the uh, Asupa um, of this body, see the unattractive nature of this body might arise very clearly to the mind, or see the Dukkha of attachment to this body might come up very clearly to the mind, or see the impermanence of this body that comes up very clearly to the mind. Every time we have any kind of insight like this, 
the effect on the, the visitor is to make it more brighter and more radiant. And of course, the more radiant it becomes through the presence of insight, then this pushes away Alicha, darkness. The darkness which covers over the world in people's minds most of the time starts to get pushed, pushed away by the, the radiance of wisdom. Uh, the more wisdom and the more one has trained the mind like this, then the more one sees and Samadhi and Panya will develop energy of its own, become uh, a bright energy in the center of the mind, very radiant. Um, and these are qualities that when they're present in the mind they have a, the effect of spinning the mind in, in the right direction, spinning the mind with the Dhamma or in a wholesome direction um, towards the progress in, in developing more Siva Samadhi Panya um, each quality helping each other and the overall effect is to spin the mind or turn the mind towards Magapala Nibbana so if we keep putting effort into developing uh, our practice, developing samadhi, uh, this will support the rising of insight and panya. And the more firm our samadhi is, the more we'll be able to contemplate uh, in a more fluent and more even manner. Uh, yeah, the result of this is as our contemplation deepens and becomes more established, then the mind just becomes brighter and brighter and gathers together and unifies more within itself. Uh, it doesn't stray out and get lost in the world or deluded by the world anymore. And this is what transforms the mind. It changes the form the mind as we gradually see through grief, hatred and delusion, let them go, abandon them, abandon them, abandoning them. The mind becomes purified. Uh, our old habits drop away, uh, places that we used to follow get lost in start to disappear, all the worries that we've had, greed, concerns and attachments, our selfishness, all these different unwholesome qualities start to drop away. Little by little the mind starts to change. Um, that's the result of putting effort into the practice, developing mindfulness, keeping the presence of mind over and over again. Um, and the more we do this, the more we have a sense of just can't waste time, waste this chance to practice. We can't let time just slip by. Of course, it's possible to live the life of a bhikkhu and just get by. We can sort of know enough that we can just get by hang, hang, hanging on in the roads. Um, but we must really try to improve ourselves, use this as a vehicle. We have the opportunity to develop ourselves in a practice, so we must really take that opportunity and try and improve ourselves in all these different ways. Keep searching for a way to raise the level of your mind, improve your effort, over and overcome uh, the causes of suffering, transcend them. Really find ways to teach yourself, and you can also help others in this way. As our energy in the practice increases, then naturally our awareness of the impermanent suffering and lack of self in this body becomes clearer. And the end result of this is that sooner or later the mind has the experience of, we have an experience of separation between mind and body. Um, it's when you have this kind of experience that you transcend doubt, all the doubts about the teaching, about what uh, the path is, what the fruit is, you start to, you, you have um, 
you transcend doubt when you have this experience. At first, we might just see the body as, and each um, have that as just a, a simple, small insight that arises. But if we keep practicing, the mind can really be transformed by this contemplation and this, this awareness as, as, as it becomes deeper. So gradually the mind does transform from an old, the mind of an ordinary world being a Patrujana to the mind of a Kalyanachana, or one who is um, established in the practice, on, on the way of the practice, and ultimately to the level of an Arya, uh, a noble one who has actually seen the Dhamma with penetrating insight and has seen the danger in Sanskrit. The important thing in the beginning of practice is to summon up, bring up samadhiti, your right view, um, so that it can inform your practice and bring the correct fruits that you're wishing for. If you have samadhiti guiding your practice, right view guiding your practice, then obviously you'll have right consideration, right reflection in the way you think. Uh, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi will follow on from that. Uh, they all spring from that right view which has to be the guiding light, nourishing the practice, guiding the practice. Uh, of course in the beginning sometimes our wisdom or right view is a bit patchy. It's there sometimes, it's not there other times. Uh, so the aim of the practice is to really establish right view in the mind. Um, at first, sometimes there are obstacles to this. We have different habits that we've developed in the lay life. We have sleepiness, we have greed for food, greed for indulgence in different sensual objects, we have laziness, don't want to do the chores, and so on. Um, so in the beginning, we really have to rely on some patience, some endurance to pull us through that. But as we develop our mindfulness, we grow in ourselves. We grow strength of mind, strength in our efforts, maturity in the way we look at things, and more of a sense of personal responsibility. And as that comes, we're able to endure our different moods, mind states, and the phenomena that we experience. We're able to endure the moods of attraction and aversion that come up, and not just give in to them and follow them, but actually resist them. any kind of sense contact that stimulates attraction and aversion will start to become more mindful of it, aware of it, and let go of that attraction and aversion that it stimulates. Uh, later, we can see that by using mindfulness and wisdom to, to contemplate things, uh, we can, little by little, pick out the collations that are arising in our mind and let go of them. Uh, at first, it's just temporarily. We temporarily can abandon them, but later on, we're aiming to completely abandon the mind, abandon them from the mind, uh, with the use of using Hawana Maya Panya, the insight that arises from the practice of meditation, or the development of the Vipassana Yanas, of true insight that arises from a mind that is peaceful in Samadhi. When we have this kind of wisdom, this is um, the energy and the effort that comes with this, is a very natural. Um, energy and effort. If our wisdom is not yet clear, then similarly our effort will also not yet be complete and not yet be uh, there all the time, won't be strong. But once our wisdom becomes clearer, our insight becomes clearer, then we're not lazy anymore and our effort isn't lacking. 
So it's the presence of sati and samadhi and wisdom that will keep putting, bringing us to put effort forth in the practice. Uh, and the wisdom that sees the body as an incha dukkha anatta um, can come up in so many different ways. We can have different experiences of insight, seeing the body as just a collection of atoms or molecules. Sometimes we just see it as strings of fire energy, sometimes threads of air going around the body. We can have different experiences of the three characteristics when insight arises. Um, but the result of this is that we can see that wherever we attach to this body, that will be the source of more birth and more existence. Um, even just our own moods, when we get caught into moods of laziness or, we, or aversion, we have aversion for other months or for the routine. When we have deep insight like this, we see these are all just a source of more birth, more existence, more attachment. At first we don't really know where to contemplate, we don't know what the body is, what the mind is. Uh, but, but it's as sati develops and the mind becomes more firm in samadhi that we really see the anicca dukkha anatta very clearly. We see what the body and mind are as phenomena. We see that their nature is anicca dukkha anatta. We become aware of what sila is, what samadhi is, what panya is. These become clearer to us. Uh, we can't, we're able to contemplate the nature of anicca dukkha anatta in this body. And the result of that is that we see this body is empty, it's emptiness. By contemplating like this over and over again, seeing the emptiness in this body, in this form, um, we can gradually see that that applies to everything in this whole world. It's empty of, of anything, empty of self. Sometimes you have such a deep insight into this that it seems to just flatten the whole world. There's nothing that, that isn't, um, that can stand up to this insight. We can see all forms of nama and rupa, or former mentali mentality, as empty. This kind of insight uproots uh, avicca, dhamma, upatana, uh, ignorance, craving, and attachment. So we must keep enduring and being patient with the practice, keep summoning up our efforts in the practice. It's true that. Uh, in the beginning there is difficulty, it can be very hard, but you have to see that the difficulties in the beginning will be the cause for happiness later on. Lumpur Chao always reminded us that the Dhamma can only really arise from a sense of renunciation, and he was one who really put his life on the line for the practice of the Dhamma. He dedicated his life for it, he, he was really sincere in that. He said that to bring the Dhamma to us, to, to teach to us, he had to put himself through much difficulty. Um, that's what we have to do, we have to really train ourselves like that. If we're going to see that this, this body and the phenomena that we experience, as we're going to see them as an Ichiduka Anatta, then we really have to go through a lot of training, put a lot of effort in to see that. If we really want to experience that radiance and purity of the jitta that has been trained, we really have to put effort forth. Uh, if we really want to see our greed, hatred and delusion, delusion as just temporary phenomena that aren't really ourselves, we, we want to let go of them, then we have to put effort forth. Uh, if we do put that effort forth, we can get, get to the point where we see this body as body, mind as mind. We can see everything in our experience as Dhamma, like this. We can see it all as an Ichya Dukkha Anatta. And it's 
when we see it like that, that we can let go of things, let go of our attachments. But to do that, we have to put effort into the practice. We really have to commit ourselves to the training. We have to commit ourselves and be sincere in bringing up wholesome dhammas and abandoning unwholesome dhammas. So I ask you and encourage you to really put forth sincere effort in the practice. For one who has done the practice, then they get to the point where they have insight to see that their body and the body of others are just the same, of the same nature, nature. Even men and women are the same when looked at with the eye of wisdom. But when we have no energy in the practice, no, no, we haven't really developed strong mindfulness or insight, then we always get lost in the differences. And that's what gives rise to moods of attraction and aversion. When the path factors are strong, it breaks that down, the, the superficial attachment down. We don't get caught into liking this part of the body or this person, disliking this part of the body, that person. Moods of attraction and aversion are are broken down. But when the path is weak, we always get caught into wrong views. And with those wrong views, we have wrong thought, we get caught into uh, wrong speech, wrong actions, wrong energy, wrong effort, and so on. So we get caught into aversion and attraction all the time. The more we develop samadhi and insight, uh, then we can see that the happiness of the world, the worldly happiness, is isn't really that attractive or worth attaching to. It's wisdom and insight that highlights this, it points out that this body is really a source of suffering and the world is a source of suffering. When insight becomes very deep and profound, then you might just see that this body really is ultimately just a source of uh, rotten, decomposing material. Uh, You might realise it's just a place for maggots to eat. You might have an insight vision, an image of seeing the body is just a bloated corpse full of maggots bloated just like a bag of urine or a bag of excrement or a bag of blood one, one aspect or the other might manifest more clearly so you can begin this contemplation of the true nature of the body just taking those the super pictures that we have, the books and the pictures and looking at them really contemplating this body and then go away and visualize those images in the mind, get to know them, get to the point where you can really hold them in the mind. Use the teachings that our Upajaya gave us, Kesa, Loma, Naka, like weapons. These are the weapons we're given to fight the Kalesas, to fight our greed, anger and delusion. We use our meditation objects, Bhutto or the Anapanasati or the recollection of death uh, to help calm the mind. And when the mind is calm and peaceful, we turn it to contemplate the asutta, the unattractiveness of this body. The result of that is it brightens the mind and our doubts disappear. When you have these kind of insights and you train yourself like this, then when you experience some peace and happiness from the practice, you won't want to disrobe, you won't, won't, won't want to go back to the world. You won't want to spend your time um, visualizing, fantasizing about the world, thinking about limiters of uh, the attractive parts of the world, wanting to indulge in 
in sexual fantasies or fantasies about different aspects of sexuality, you'll see that those those are just keeping you stuck in the world. You won't really want to have those images in the mind anymore. You have to be careful in your practice. You have to train yourself to be very careful what you're looking at. These days there's so much media, so much stuff around. There's photos, there's computers, there's telephones. If you're using a mobile phone, you have to think, be very careful who you're talking to. If you're talking to a lady, it's very difficult to be restrained. So you have to use Sila as your protection. Limit the amount of speech who you're speaking to, when, and so on. We have to use mindfulness like this, use our sila like this to train ourselves. Later on when we have samadhi and we have wisdom, it becomes more automatic, but in the beginning we have to be very careful. Of course, in the beginning, we don't really see the asupa yet. We have to rely on external sources and just contemplate it, think about it. But later, as our samadhi becomes more firm, we experience more states of calm, kanika samadhi, upajara samadhi, apana samadhi, then we can really hold that contemplation in the mind and it really starts to affect the mind. Before, we used to fantasize about the body, but once the power factors come together, then we see really it's just a load of rubbish. It's just a pile of dust, a pile of dirt to be discarded. Sooner or later, as the power factors come together, one day the mind will gather together and the samadhi that arises will back the wisdom that we've been training in, the reflections, the investigations. I'll be able to see this body eh, as the four elements. When you contemplate the four elements and contemplate this body as the four elements, you see the, the very fragile nature of this body, you see its impermanent nature. When we die, what happens? Straight away the body dries out, the water element starts to disappear. Straight away the fire element disappears, the body becomes cool. Uh, straight away the breath element goes, the body becomes still. Um, if we can see the death and the impermanent nature of this body very clearly, uh, then it naturally will, it will follow on, we'll see the super in this body, we'll see that it's the nature of this body to just decompose, become a rotten corpse, bloated and then uh, stained with blood and so on. If we keep doing this over and over again, little by little our fetters and attachments for this mind, this body and the world as a whole will start to dis- disappear. This will break through us Sakaya Ditti, body attachment to this and identification with this body, uh, break through our Sila Pachabharamasa, our Wichitricha. Gradually this contemplation will remedy our wrong views and our delusions that we hold in the mind about this body and allow us to let go of our attachments. It will allow us to see the body as just the body, the mind as just the mind. And this is the way we can transcend suffering. This is the way that's been practiced by our teachers, Venerable and Purman, Venerable Ajahn Chah. They, they were ones who transcended suffering by letting go of these attachments, these places. They've done it already. So please follow, dedicate yourself to following their footsteps and developing Sila Samadhi and Panya. It's through this that we'll be able to abandon the places. If we keep recollecting the impermanence of this body, recollecting the fact that we have to die one day, uh, 
we'll become very careful and have a sense of urgency in our practice. We really want to use our time to our advantage to train ourselves, to refine our minds, to move them, develop them up from the coarser states of mind that we've had in the past. We have to train ourselves in an all-round way, from the very smallest points of Vinaya right up to the most refined insights. So don't overlook the small training rules of the Vinaya, or the minor training rules. Just for instance, when you hold your arms bowl after you've finished your meal or before your meal, if you're walking around the monastery, if you're walking through a doorway, don't hold your bowl and open the door at the same time. You should put the bowl down and then open the door. You shouldn't be pushing past doors with parts of your body as you hold your bowl. These are the sort of minor denial rules that bring up, help us to bring up mindfulness, help us to train ourselves. Uh, so you must put effort into learning these rules, whether you have one range, five range, or ten range. Uh, these Vinaya rules are important. Don't let the teacher have to keep reminding you about aspects of the Vinaya two or three times. If, he, if he's given you a teaching once, then really take that to heart and practice with it. When you lived with Lumpur Chara in the old days, you really had to be very careful. You had to be very mindful and couldn't let your mind proliferate about any unwholesome subjects. You couldn't let your mind proliferate about food or lust or moods of anger. If you did, he would quickly find a way to jump on you. He'd point it out and start talking in a way that made you realize he knew what you were thinking. He'd bring you to realize that this is the place of death. When you lose your mindfulness and get caught into mental proliferation, then the practice dies there. So he told us to be very careful of this mind, careful of the core work of the rules of training, really take them seriously and put all our effort into them. When I was a young monk, he moved me to a kuti quite near to him. When you're living in a kuti next to him, then you really have to put effort into your practice. You can't be slack. You have to be putting effort into your walking and your sitting because he's keeping an eye on you. He would have you help upatak him, attend to him, but at the same time he wouldn't let you just hang around attaching to him. When it was time for the morning meeting, the evening meeting, he'd chase you away so you could do your meditation and chanting. He really trained and disciplined the monks and made them go against their desires and their attachments. So learn how to sit uh, and practice, walk and practice, stand and practice, lie down and practice. Today we we have to ask ourselves, today, how have I practiced today? Have I been improving myself in my practice? Have I developed my training today? Have I done any good today? Could my practice be better than it is? Could I be trying harder in my practice? Could I be learning more chanting? Could I be learning the Patrimoka? Could I be learning how to sew ropes? All the different aspects of the practices and the services and the different aspects of the training that we can do. You have to contemplate what areas you could put more effort into the practice, what qualities of mind you could develop more than this. When you do this, you learn how to train yourself like this and bring up sense of discipline and personal responsibility. Then the power factors can develop and this will, is what will take us to the transcending of suffering. Questions? I'm not sure what you're saying. 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 I'm not
Yes, this is a very important thing. Uh, as we know, Venerable Ananda <coughs> made that comment that um, having a Kamiyana Mitta, a teacher or a noble friend, is so important that it's at least half of our practice. But the Buddha said, no, it's the, the full 100% of the practice. Um, if that Kalyana Mitra is developed in the practice, they've seen the path, they're pure, and they know the, the, the true path to the end of suffering, then of course they'll lead you in the right way right from the beginning, from the very first step in your practice, right through to the end. So all the way, not just halfway, they'll lead you all the way to the end of the practice. If the friend is a wrong friend, or untrue friend, a false friend, then of course they'll lead you in a completely wrong way, wrong direction. Say someone like David Dutta, if you made him your, your, your friend, spiritual friend, then of course you'd, you'd have ended up in a lot of suffering. If it's the right friend, or true noble friend, then every step you take will be going down the right path, everything will be done, will be going towards the end of suffering. Um, the more you follow them, the more steps you take, then your mind becomes clearer in what the path is, the less doubts you have. And it will take us to uh, the end of suffering completely, 100%, not just 50%. Uh, another er- teaching where the Buddha um, emphasized this is um, the Mangala Sutta. As we know, he began that with a Sevana to Balanam, it was that important in the practice. You have to learn how, you know, pick and choose who you associate with. Associate with wise people who can really lead you out of suffering. And don't associate with fools who will take you in the wrong direction. Okay. I was wondering um, in, in uh, body contemplation or super contemplation. Um, how important is the uh, visualization aspect of it, and uh, what are some, some ways to develop that? In the beginning, we can just intellectually uh, use our thinking capacity just to run through things we've heard, things we've read, and just contemplate in that way the unattractive side of the body, say, for instance, we can run through the hair of the head. Um, what is hair? What is it made of? And where does it come from? In the body, it's fed by the blood uh, coming through pores in the skin. What, what's it like? What's its nature? Or hair on the head, it keeps growing. Um, if we don't wash it, it starts to smell, it gets greasy. Um, what's it like when it falls off if a, if a hair drops out say you're eating some food hair drops into the food and makes that food un- unattractive or you feel some hair on the ground in the dark and you're walking around your food it's unpleasant um, you just think it through like that um, but later on uh, at first thinking it through like that you might not visualise much 
you might not be able to hold a, a visual image in the, in the mind's eye uh, but you, it will, might make you peaceful on one level just contemplating like that you have a sense of understanding and a sense of detachment arises or oh, this is the way the body is it's like this, it's unpleasant um, but as your practice develops and your mind becomes firmer and more refined in samadhi then when you think in that same way then you might naturally you might have a, a visual image pop up in the mind or you might be able to draw the mind's attention to an image that you've seen before and hold it because the mind is calm with samadhi and actually hold that image so then uh, you can just visually uh, turn that intellectual uh, teaching that you've been thinking through in your mind actually turn it to a visual thing you're, you're visualizing those same things visualizing your hair where it is in terms of where it is on the body up on top of the head individual hairs how they are what they look like the color of them whether they're black brown white uh, the pores that the hair is sitting in the way it comes out of the skin the way it's, it's the, the blood feeds uh, through to that pore underneath the skin you might actually have an image of that come up quite clearly, clearly in the mind when the mind is peaceful um, and that's how it progresses those images become more clearer you can hold them more in the mind and the more clear and the longer you hold them in the mind then obviously the more it starts to really have a deeper effect on the mind the way, the way the mind is the way it views this body uh, but in the beginning you just have to use memory and just thinking and do it intellectually at first but um, as, as your practice gathers momentum those visual images they might arise all by, all by themselves when the mind's peaceful even if you're consciously trying to remember images after a while you might you know, be able to hold them draw the mind's attention to them quite, quite easily, quite naturally because you've trained and practiced that way so in the beginning you're training yourself in this intellectual running through uh, the nature of the body and maybe using your imagination actually building images remember visualizing parts of the body remembering what the visual images that you've seen before what they're like but when your mind reaches the point that it is firm and stable in samadhi one might have an image pop up by itself, it arises by itself and it's a combination of both samadhi and insight and at that point one turns one's contemplation one's no longer intellectually thinking about it, one's just visually um, being aware of the nature of the particular body part or aspect of the body or a whole corpse that one is contemplating and the important thing is one becomes aware of the impermanence the, the dukkha of the body the unattractiveness of the body or the lack of the self in some aspect or other that will become clearer and clearer to the mind at that point uh, and it's that clarity that is what we call insight is without having to think anymore you know, intellectually or, or imagining anymore it's just obvious to the mind or very very clear to the mind that's the nature of the body um, the particular body part one might be contemplating or seeing um, but this has to come through training it's a process of training it works from first of all just more superficial intellectual thinking visualizing and gradually as the mind becomes peaceful one point it actually manifests from within the mind itself mm-hmm.
someone in that position has to be someone who's already developed some mindfulness and some wisdom so that they can take on that burden and they won't overwhelm them so that there's someone who knows how to contemplate, knows how to establish mindfulness as they do those duties. When we're a young monk, we generally have a lot more freedom, a lot less responsibility. Um, so we should really use that opportunity to um, develop our practice and use, use our time wisely and skillfully, learn how to have the discipline to keep putting effort into the practice. There is of course still opportunity to help the Sangha in many ways. We have like to do water, look after water, electricity, bookkeeping, visas, so on. Um, these are all very useful services for the Sangha and one makes a lot of merit and good karma doing that. But whatever duties one does, one can't ignore the practice of meditation and, and development of one's personal um, meditation one, one has to combine the two together so that one, is, one isn't just uh, lazy uh, and particularly say when one gets to be a senior monk or an abbot then one has to have learned how to do that otherwise the burden of responsibility becomes such a burden that it just weighs down on one and uh, one can't practice anymore and then of course it's in a dangerous situation no longer practicing in a position of heavy responsibility then one's level of mind can go right down so one uses one's time to train in this when one's, one's young, young monk one's training in, to, in how to have that regular discipline rest, regular input into the practice um, and learning how to not give that up and whatever uh, duties, responsibilities in the same one takes on that's, that's good one can do a lot to help, help the, serve the Sangha um, but one really has to balance it and not forget one also has to develop one's meditation as well Alex is asking you what, what you're planning to do with your life are you going to dedicate it to the Dharma are you going to ordain are you going to stay as a lay person and dedicate your life to the lay person even if you're not sure what you want to do um, while you're waiting to make the decision you can still be practicing you can be one who's developing your practice uh, even as a lay person you can keep the five precepts or even sometimes the eight precepts and develop mindfulness practice meditation um, you can still be doing that and as you do that then it'll probably bring you to the point where, where you can make, have some more clarity about how you want to spend your life Maybe you may, never know you might reach the point one day when you feel uh, you've received enough Dhamma and you feel you're in the right position to make a decision you might think oh now I'll, I'll, I'll ordain as a monk um, when you make that decision you don't have to say oh I'm going to ordain for the rest of my life because that might feel too burdensome to the mind and off-putting you might just say oh I'll, I'll ordain I'll just try it out maybe for a year maybe for five years and it might seem easier to accept it that way um, but whatever way you want to keep practicing or keep dedicating yourself in one who is practicing one who is in training whatever situation you find yourself in keep doing that keep exposing yourself to the Dharma listening to the Dharma coming to temples and then little by little your mind, the level of your mind is going to improve